Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Do you stand with me, please, just one more time? Reading out of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 17. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. That was required in those days. Called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed came back praising God in a loud voice, loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And the author takes note, and he was a Samaritan. There were some racial issues between these groups. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Father, I ask right now that you would uh, inhabit your word today by your spirit. And then in our conversation today that you would shape our thinking, our hearts, and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This is a single message. Next week we'll begin our uh, Christmas uh, series. And today I want to talk to you about crossing the threshold. Now, as I'm talking about that, I must warn you that I am in an ornery, unpredictable mood. Yesterday, um, my water heater broke. Cold water. On a freezing day. It's just a horrible thing. And I feel that it's important that I share that pain with all of you. Amen. And I will strive my best to make you as miserable during this gathering as possible, just as a way of dealing with my own situation and circumstances. I'm sure you appreciate that. Actually, I have more to talk about on that, and as to actually why I'm grateful that this water heater that we had last night began to leak and break down, that I'm actually thankful for that. And I'll break that down as we go along. This passage of scripture that we just read here today, it's simple enough. Jesus heals 10 people. One returns and gives him thanks. And I emphasize he was the outcast uh, racially. He thanked him and gives thanks. And he does this in a loud voice uh, before God and then to Jesus. So with one out of the 10 returning, the percentage of that is... A 10% return, I kind of ironic in a way, uh, a tithe, if you will, uh, which is what the term means, 10%. Um, come back and give thanks. And, and Jesus doesn't, doesn't care. He's so much above all this stuff, it just doesn't matter to him what people do. Now, he sits here and says, wait a minute, or didn't, weren't there 10 of you guys? Where are the other nine? You know, sometimes we think that we're never going to get called out by, by God because, you know, we have this impression of Jesus just as graceful. And he is, but he's sitting here saying, wait a minute, there were nine more. What happened to them? Now, interestingly enough, we're never told. 
Uh, what happened to those guys? But this one gives thanks, and that captures this idea of giving thanks, this idea of thanksgiving or gratitude. It's interesting. Researchers have found that gratitude, at least in our society, is learned very slowly. It doesn't come naturally to children. When they did studies on this and they were engaging with children, one, there's a book called The Gift of Thanks by Margaret Visser, and she had this study observing how parents teach their children to say hi, thanks, and goodbye. And I won't give you all the stats on it, but bottom line, they say hi and, and goodbye. It came pretty naturally, and the percentage was high uh, of them doing it by themselves, and very low that the parents had to remind them, hey, say goodbye, you know, or say hello. But when it came to gratitude to saying thanks the children had a much more difficult time learning this. Most children have to learn to say thank you, catch this, even before they know what it means. In other words, when children have matured, according to Visser, and have been further educated, they will come to be able to feel the emotion that the words express. The words come first, the feelings later. Do I need to repeat that one? Okay. Did I mention I'm ornery today? All right. The words came first, the emotion later. We often think, oh, I just don't feel like giving thanks. Okay? But we're hearing here that there's an educational process. Based on this research, Visser concludes that learning to be thankful involves a steep learning curve. She writes, quote, in our culture, Thanksgiving is to believed to be, for most children, the very last of basic social graces they acquire. And I would argue some never learn it. Children have to be brought up, she says, to say that they are grateful. She says the verb is passive. They are brought up. They do not bring themselves up. She says also that, that we, although we have to grow into the practice of Thanksgiving, once we learn to be grateful, she said, we seldom forget it. Quote, such phrases like thank you become so ingrained in us that they last when almost everything else has been forgotten. States of aphasia that affect our memory and thinking or in people suffering from Alzheimer's disease. These little phrases, she says, often survive the shipwreck of other memories. So it doesn't come natural. Children, generally speaking, have to learn the phrases and then understand the emotion as it comes along behind it. But once it's there, it tends to stay stuck. Sean Aker, he's a psychologist who teaches at Harvard, suggests that we can train our brains to become more grateful by setting aside just five minutes a day for practicing gratitude. Listen to this. He cites a one-week study, just for one week, in which people were asked to take five minutes a day at the same time every day to write down three things they were grateful for. Five minutes a day at the same time every day to write down three things they were grateful for. They didn't have to be big things, but they had to be concrete. I'm grateful that uh, I had that wonderful dinner last night, or I'm, I'm grateful that I got a hug from my kid, or I'm, I'm grateful that my boss noticed and recognized my work. It has to be tangible. But simply expressing thanks, three specific events at the same time of a day. And here's what they did. They did this for a week. At the end of a month... The researchers followed up and followed those who had practiced gratitude, including those who stopped the exercise after one week. In other words, some continued to do it after the exercise and were still doing it for a month. But it included those who had stopped after the survey was done, after the thing was done, that they were happier and less depressed. 
Remarkably, after three months, they write, the participants who had been part of the one-week experiment were still more joyful and content. Incredibly, after the six-month mark, they were still happier, less anxious, less depressed. The researchers hypothesized that the simple practice of writing down three thanksgivings a day over the course of a week primed the participants' minds to search for the good in their lives, to find that which was good in their lives. I talked to someone after first service, they let me know a tradition in their family and I said I want to share it with you guys. I thought it was interesting. They have a thank you jar and evidently they've been doing this for years if I understand this right. And, and I don't know if it's every day or just as it happens but I got the impression every day people write down, the families to write down something they're grateful for, something they're thankful for. And they just put it in the jar. Nobody reads it, they put it in the jar. And then on December 31st they empty the jar and they begin to read those items, which I thought was fascinating because obviously they're reading things that happened the previous February. Oh, I forgot all about that. That's right. And they're reading all those things. And if I understand it right they take these jars and I think they put the date on them and they put them on the shelf. If they don't do it I still think it's a great idea. Okay. But putting it on the shelf so you have all these jars of gratitude and of thankfulness. This concept of being grateful is a deeply Christian concept. Colossians chapter 3 verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving what? Thanks to God, the Father through Him. Whatever you do. 1 Thessalonians, one of the most terrible passages of scriptures in the entire Bible. I hate this passage. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I don't know how many times I've had a frustrating, annoying moment and someone's come along and quoted this nasty little verse of me. I don't want to give thanks. I want to kill you for referencing the passage to me. It's annoying. It's irritating. It's disturbing, but it's also in the Bible and it's telling us that we're to give thanks in all circumstances. Certainly not all circumstances. What's it say? Yeah, it says all. Last year when all this stuff happened with the COVID and junk, there were 42 or 3 of us I think were supposed to go to Israel for an incredible 10 day, 13 day experience. Three days before we're to launch, COVID hits, and, and we shut it down. It was, it, was, it was heartbreaking to not go. There had been a group that had gone before us, not from our church, some other church. They got out there, but they were isolated for three days and then had to return home seeing nothing and lost everything in the process. We were grateful that we did not get to go in that moment of time and in that circumstance, and that we got everything back that had been put in. So as heartbreaking as it was, as disturbing and depressing, we focused instead on the other, but I want to take it deeper, because here's the thing, if you had gone on that, for you 40 so, and the rest of you that would have heard our stories as we came back, one of the items on the agenda would have been Yad Vashem. Yad Vashem is the most impressive Holocaust memorial that you're ever going to encounter. It's just outside Jerusalem, it's an incredible place, and I, I could go on for hours on just the, the impact of that memorial honoring those who fell in the Holocaust and those who helped. Well, one of the things that they have there is they have a place that's entitled the Garden of the Righteous among the nations. And it's a series of trees. And at the foot of each tree, they put a marker. 
and they put the name of somebody or families who hid someone who was Jewish or rescued them during the Holocaust. And there's 14,000 of these trees in this garden of the righteous. Now, a favorite author of my wife Renee's is Corey Tenboom. And I was intrigued with her stuff as well, too. And so I walked amongst the Garden of the Righteous. I didn't get to live there because I'm not righteous enough. But they had this mark there. And I came across, and I know you can't quite see that, but in Hebrew and then in English down below, it's saying Corey Tenboom and father, Casper, and sister Elizabeth, who they would call Betsy. And it's Holland. It lists the, the nation they were in. You see, in The Hiding Place, a book that she wrote, Corey Tenboom, and she's the only member of her family to have survived the Holocaust. Even though they weren't Jewish, they, they knew the risks involved and they knew the potentials for those who were captured, and so they hid Jewish people within their home. Someone betrayed them at one point in time, and so not only were the Jews carried off, but her entire family and herself were carried off to Ravensbrück, a concentration camp. Where their survivability was incredibly low. They never saw their father again. She was um, in a barracks with her sister Betsy. And um, in this barracks, they had managed to slip in a Bible against all odds. They got a Bible inside there. Well, another part of this barracks that was incredibly crowded is their particular one was infested with fleas. And so one morning, as they're reading in their tattered little Bible, they come across, Betsy come across this, this terrible passage of Scripture and think of it in this setting in Ravensbrück, in the concentration camp, with death daily around them, give thanks in how many circumstances? All circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so um, Betsy says to Corey, you know what, what this means is we need to give thanks even for these fleas. And Corey's saying, you're insane. I am not giving thanks for the stupid fleas that are driving us crazy. Betsy points to the passage of Scripture and reads it again. Give thanks in all circumstances. Betsy was persuasive, according to Corey. And so together they knelt by their bunk and they thanked God even for the fleas in the midst of the concentration camp. What they didn't find out until later was that because of those fleas, the guards never, almost never would enter their particular barracks. They were concerned about getting the infestation on themselves, which left them free to not only hold their Bible studies, but meant that the women in their particular barracks were not assaulted or attacked. In fact, that place, their barracks, became the only place of refuge for them. Why? Because of the fleas. Give thanks in all circumstances. It's a terrible, terrible scripture. So... I'm studying last night. I'm trying to quiet my spirit. My wife and my son are in the process of, of, of decorating and bringing up the Christmas tree and all the rest. And they're going into the basement, into the furnace room to pull all this material out. And I'm trying to get quiet. And they're all around. And next thing I know is I hear my wife say with that particular tone of voice that your spouse will use, Randy, you need to come to the basement quickly. Okay, I'm thinking some dead animal, I don't know, but I am annoyed as it is, I run on down, and there is this puddle emanating from the water heater. It's broken, it's leaking. 75 uh, gallons of water is about to spread across the entire floor of the furnace room. This happened one time before, years back, but the beauty of that moment is I wasn't home and she was alone. I was out of the country doing God's work. <laughs> and so she had to deal with it by herself. Now it's on me. 
and it's spreading. And I'm realizing if I don't lower the pressure, if I don't do some fast action. Now, here's the deal. I'm incredibly skilled when it comes to such mechanical things like this. Anything at all, as long as I have my phone and YouTube. <laughs> Which I did quickly, and I realized what I needed to do. I relieved the pressure. I let the water drain out. And so a disaster was avoided. But I've got an expensive repair to be done now. I've got a hot water heater that's broken. I had to mess with this deal. But here's the reason why, as I'm processing particularly, and this is God's irony. God is really weird at times. I'm speaking on this subject and this scripture, and he has this event happen in my life last night. Now, I can focus on the fact of the cost that I have. I can focus on the fact that I have a water heater down. I can focus on the fact that I had to spend time and all things. Or I can look here on the other side and realize this. The last time, no one caught it because no one had been in that room. It's not a room people go into as a regular deal. It happened to be that they were doing the Christmas decorations, and on the one time they're doing the Christmas decorations, the one night of the entire year that there's a constant move in that room, there's a leak, and it's being detected in time to have it corrected. What do we focus on? Do you focus on the things that have failed and the problems and the issues, or do you focus on the parts that are good about it and that actually have saved you an issue or a time? What is your focus? That has a lot to do with our issue of gratitude or how we thank on things. Now, notice, in both of these passages, Colossians and Thessalonians, it's to be part of who we are as Christians. It's saying this. Now, the antithesis of this we find in Romans chapter 1, where it's talking about the people who've given up and won't pursue God, and they're ignorant, and they're foolish, and they're blind. And it says, for although they knew God, verse 21, they neither glorified him as God nor gave Thanks to him for their thinking, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. It was not ingratitude. Ingratitude is listed in other places in the scripture as something that is antithetical, that is opposite of the ways of God. If we're not practicing this, then we're falling into another pattern. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 25 says, the greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. This idea of greed or covetousness or, or being ornery when things get not right, this envy for what other people have, that we count just what we've got, and then we look and someone else has something more. This has blown our country apart in this last season of time. There's some proper issues that need to be addressed, but there's other things that have just come straight out of envy and greed and covetousness. There's a, a Russian tale. Russians are, are great people. Dark sense of humor. I love them. But, but, but great people. We're bad political scene, but, but good people. And there's this one tale they have of two people. One of them's envious of the other person. And the envious person is given this opportunity to ask a favor from the czar. The only provision is that his rival is going to get twice as much as what he gets. So he can choose anything he wants to receive as a gift. And the only thing is your rival, the guy that is the peasant in the next lot next to you, he's going to get twice as much. And the guy's heart was so messed up, what he asked for is, put out one of my eyes so that his friend next door, his buddy next door, would have both of his eyes put out. This is what greed and covetousness and ungratefulness and all that does. It ends up blinding everybody that's involved. We're never satisfied. We're never set. But if we go, into, we go in further in the scripture, we find not only is, is gratitude and thankfulness supposed to be part of the Christian life, and this other stuff is not, but it goes even deeper. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of the world, but we have food and clothing. With these we will be content. 
The idea of being content as a person. In his book, John Bogle, um, founder of the Vanguard Group, uh, an investment firm, he recounts an event that uh, he experienced one time. There was a party given by a a billionaire hedge fund uh, manager on Shelter Island. He doesn't name the manager. But he does name that there were two successful um, authors that were there. One, you might know Kurt Vonnegut. And the other one was Joseph Heller. Um, Joseph Heller had written the book Catch-22, a very well-known novel. And at one point in time, um, as they're in this party and gathering, Kurt Vonnegut turns to, to Joe Heller and he says, Hey, Joe, do you realize that our host makes more in one day? More money comes into his bank account in one day than your most popular novel, Catch-22, has earned in its entire lifetime so far? And Heller responded this way, according to Bogle, who's overhearing. Yes, but I have something that he will never have. Enough. When we get caught up in what others have and what we don't have, then we never have enough. You can have $10 million and you still want more and you still try to have more and you're resentful of those who have things that you don't have. But in the Christian walk, there's not only supposed to be thankfulness, there's supposed to be a contentment. Hebrews chapter 13, 5 says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. He's also said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Christ promises to be alongside us. Something more important than all the valuable items we could ever achieve. Philippians chapter 4. And, and this passage has been deeply misused. So I, I'm going to again, I'm not trying to do this to you, but some of you aren't going to be happy with this. Because you've misapplied this passage. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, Paul says, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be what? I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. I know in any, or rather in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then here, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And we take this passage rip it out of context and say I can, I can conquer that mountain because I can do all things I can take this next partnership level or I can, I can achieve this athletic thing. I can do all things and you see that on t-shirts all the time that's not what it means put it in context he's sitting here and saying I've learned in whatever situation I am to be what? content I know how to be brought low I know how to abound and every night I've learned this year facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things. What things? I can do all these things. I can be content, in other words. Not because I'm so cool, but because Christ is in me and has taught me. And so I can be content. In all these things, I can be a conqueror. In all these things, I can do these things through him who strengthens me. In other words, I can learn, and I have learned through him that when I don't have anything to still be grateful and sing songs while I'm in prison. I've learned while I have a lot of really great stuff and things are going well, not to get caught up with how the crowd is shouting my name or all the security of the finances I have. He says, I have learned to be content through Christ. Second Corinthians. Well, you know, this one goes in there. He says to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. I'm content with being wealthy. I'm content with being healthy. I'm I'm content, he's saying, with weaknesses. I'm content with insults. 
I don't like them. I don't think they're right. I'm not saying they're good. He just says, I'm content. Hardships, persecutions, calamities. See, Detroit Lions entire season here. (laughs) For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's saying that there's a contentedness that is not shaped by the circumstances. And there's a gratitude to God in that. There's another Russian tale. I've told you this a ways back, but it bears hearing again. There's this old man. He lives in a small village. He's the poorest man in the village. But he owns the most beautiful white stallion. And the king had offered him a small fortune for it after a a terribly harsh winter during which the old man and his family nearly starved. The townspeople came to visit. Old man, they said, you can hardly afford to feed your family. Sell the stallion and you will be rich. If you do not, you are a fool. It's too early to tell, replied the old man. A few months later, the old man woke up to find that the white stallion had run away. Once again, the townspeople came and they said to the old man, see, if you had sold the king your horse, you would be rich. Now you have nothing. You are a fool. It's too easy early to tell, replied the old man. Two weeks later, the white stallion returned, and along with it came three other white stallions. Old man, the townspeople said, we are the fools. Now you can sell the stallion to the king, and you still have three stallions left. You are smart. It's too early to tell, said the old man. The following week, the old man's son, his only son, was breaking in one of the stallions. He's thrown, crushing both his legs and the townspeople paid a visit to the old man and said old man if you just sold the stallion of the king you'd be rich and your son would not be crippled you are a fool it's too early to tell said the old man well the next month war broke out with a neighboring kingdom and all the young men in the village were sent to the battle and all of them were killed townspeople came and they cried to the old man we have lost our sons you are the only one who has not if you had sold your stallion to the king your son too would be dead because he would have been able bodied and ready for battle you are so smart guess what he said it's too early to tell said the old man there are times I've thought of that old proverb in situations that seem very dark I've thought of that even when times are going great Paul didn't lean on Proverbs, per se. He leaned into Christ. He had learned to be content. He learned that whatever circumstance happened, whether it was high or low, to walk that middle road and say it's too early to tell whether it's really good or bad in many cases. We're going to find that out when we leave this place. Until that time, he was going to lean into God and worship Him. Now, I have only a few other thoughts for you this morning here yet to share. One of them is a quick question as to whether you know how Thanksgiving even came about, in what time period and what way it was established. Let me open it up for you. Let me talk to you about someone that you know. You all know who this person is. He was seven years of age. His family was forced out of their home, and he went to work at age seven. When he was nine, his mother died. He lost his job as a store clerk when he was 20 years old. He wanted to go to law school, but he didn't have either the education or the money for it. And so at age 23, he went into debt to be a partner in a small store. Three years later, the business partner died, and the resulting debt took years to repay. When he was 28, after courting a girl for four years they're dating, he asked her to marry him, and she turned him down flat. On his third try, he was elected to Congress at age 37, but then failed to be reelected. His son died at age four. four. 
When this man was 45, he ran for the Senate, and he lost. At age 47, he ran for the vice presidency, and he lost. But at age 51, he was elected president of the United States. He's usually referred to as one of our greatest, if not our greatest, president that we had. He was president during a time of incredible division in this nation that we've seen only until, until now, uh, recently again now. The guy's name was Abraham Lincoln. You know who it is. Abraham Lincoln knew what it was to face discouragement. He knew what it was to see the darker sides of life and to move beyond it and to not stop. And so it was Abraham Lincoln who in the middle of the Civil War in 1863, right in the middle when the, when the end had not been decided, he was the one who established the celebration of Thanksgiving. He was the one that decided that it was important to stop even in the middle of great adversity and trial and thank God even when they couldn't see the clarity of what was taking place yet. Gratitude, Christopher Vink, a writer, says, is the exclamation point in our life story. We can talk about the health benefits. It lowers blood pressure. It changes our, our, our health. It, it helps in all these different ways. But it's the exclamation point on our life story. It's after the narration of our lives. Whether we're grateful for the big things like life and liberty and love or the small things like chocolate or a really good cup of coffee with a French press that's just done right. We're the only creatures on earth who can articulate a sense of appreciation with words of thanks. According to a joint study between World Health Organization and UNICEF, one in nine people in the world don't have access to safe and clean drinking water. You and I, we shower every morning or day or so. We wash our cars and we water our lawns with with water that we could drink. According to the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization, one in nine people in the world go to bed hungry. I often can't decide what I'm going to eat at night as I open up my full fridge or turn to my pantry or worse comes to worse, get in the car and go one mile away over to uh, Randazzo's, the most amazing place on earth, <laughs> and get my fresh fruit and food. Eli Weissel a Jewish man who lost everything in the Holocaust, his family and everything, and became a hunter of them after that, of the Nazis. He lost his family but not his faith, and he wrote this, when a person doesn't have gratitude, something is missing in his or her humanity. A person could almost be defined by his or her attitude towards gratitude. What do you focus on? Have you learned to be content and not be fooled by the, the high life or by the low life? If you'd been one of the lepers, would you have been the one that came back? Or you've been just so caught in the celebration that it would have never entered your mind again? How about the people that got you where you are today? Have you ever written them a letter or a note? a teacher, a parent, a family, a friend, a boss, who who that person put something into you that you're where you're at today and you've forgotten entirely about that and years have gone by. Years ago, I went to the pastor that I, I first served as a youth pastor in East Detroit. If it hadn't been for him, I would never be in the ministry. Now, there are days that I have deep resentments towards him over that. But they're minor 
compared to all the joys I've seen and blessings I've had. Are you content? And so, as we close this this morning, I want to say this. I'm grateful beyond belief. I'm grateful for the people who took time on a Friday just to decorate the place so that we have a sense of cheer and, and joy coming into a place. I'm grateful for so many volunteers, I can't list them all, that work with children or youth or buildings or grounds and Osborne community and missions teams and all that's part of it. I am so grateful that the politics and racism of this past year have not shredded this church like it has so many others. That we've stayed as a family. That we've been welcoming anybody of any background. I'm grateful for the financial support of this body. Because when that's not there, it adds stress and it adds pressure. And that stress and that pressure has not been on me and the others who have to handle those things because of the faithfulness of this congregation. So we don't talk about emergencies and monies and things of that nature because of the faithfulness of a congregation. I'm grateful recently I've realized for elders and trustees. Do you realize some of the stuff I talk about on a Sunday morning, other ministers get in trouble or get fired over? Because their elders say, don't do that, it's going to cause an issue. And instead, our elders and stuff... And our trustees have said, look it, we know there's going to be issues. It's part of it. You're handling it well. Stay with it. I thank God for them. I thank God for a staff that supports and encourages and allows me to a little space at times and serves all of us so well. I'm grateful for those of you who are here today. Now, let me understand, live stream people, I'm thankful for the live stream. I truly am. There are those who cannot minister or be with us today because of family situations or circumstances or even travel. And so that's good. And I'm, I'm grateful for it. And don't take this next phrase wrong. But for those of you who are present here, David said in his Psalms, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Not let's tune them in or flip a channel. Because there's something about being together as a body that we celebrate those highs together and that we celebrate those lows together. And we still do that with those of you who are the extended family through this. But there's something still. And I pray and I know one day you will also be able to join. But I'm grateful for you here. I'm grateful for musicians as I walk in a day and at 7 a.m. in the morning, every single Sunday, these people are up here and they're practicing 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning so that we can have worship. I'm grateful that there's no wires anymore hanging down or in the balcony to trip and kill people. I, they, all those wires have been consigned to hell <laughs> because of all the rework that's been done and so they're not there anymore. I'm grateful for my family. I'm proud of what my wife has achieved in the years. I'm grateful that my sons talk to me and that we have a regard for one another. I'm grateful for friends that in many cases have been decades in the making here. I like the idea of that thank you jar. So what do you take from this? glad you asked that because there's one last scripture and it's the sum of the the title today 
Psalm 100, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. But this is the part. Enter his gates with? You need to do that again. Enter his gates with? And his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. We have dealt with war, COVID, Delta, now Omicron, all the different things. We're going to go through the whole Greek letter by the time we're done with COVID. You've had tough things. You've had water heaters break in your life. You've had jobs that have been lost. You have have people that died. You had all these different things. We don't focus on those things, though. We focus on what God is doing still in the midst of that because it's too early to tell. So here's the deal. It says here, enter his gates with thanksgiving. And so I want to get you in your mind here to have a threshold, a line, And I want it in two ways. One, that whenever you enter this place of worship, when you cross the threshold, whatever your emotions may be driving you, that you enter these gates of worship with thanksgiving. And I think we should maybe from now on, don't ask people, how are you doing? Half the time we lie. So I think instead we should maybe just go, what are you grateful for today? What are you thankful for today? But cross that threshold when you enter this place. But then through the rest of the week, for the rest of your life, I'm going to ask you to imagine an imaginary threshold and then you make the decision to stay on this side of it where there's no praise, where it's only dark and water heaters break all the time. I'm going to ask you to make the conscious choice and decision to be a follower of Christ to be someone who is seeking contentment, seeking gratitude, and to step over the threshold into thanksgiving in your personal life and in gathering in this place. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. Father, I pray that this day you would anoint your word to our hearts and to our minds for those who struggle, Lord God, that they would cross that threshold into worship and praise and thanksgiving. For those who are doing so well that they've forgotten your name, that they would cross that threshold into praise and worship and honor and thanksgiving. That all of us would gather at your throne, Lord God, this day in the midst of whatever is stirring around us even as Abraham Lincoln did and we choose to establish a day and a time of worship and praise and thanksgiving that together we will cross that threshold today I want to leave you with one final scripture today it's found in Colossians chapter 2 verses 6 and 7 take it as instruction so then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with faithfulness. Even when the feeling's not there, even when the story's not finished, even when you don't know everything yet, both the highs and the lows, in him we can do all of that. Father, I pray as we go into these holidays that we would not allow the meaning of this time to be stripped away from us in the busyness. I pray, God, that this congregation would experience deeply the 
power of your love and your grace. And that we finish this year grateful for all your various blessings. Guide us in this, we pray. In Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Next week, Christmas series.